Hello and welcome back to the Almost Forgotten. Cracks, memories, all that stuff. We're talking more about the Hussite Wars in Bohemia in the early 1400s, and this is part three and the last episode on them. The great Hussite military leader, Jan Zizka, died, and the Hussites would have to go on without him. But they were able to find another leader in Prokop the Great. And while he did lead them to many successes, and the Hussites survived, it wasn't in the way Prokop or Zizka had envisioned. Maps and images can be found on the website, almostforgotten.squarespace.com. This is Season 5, Episode 8, The Hussite Wars Part 3, and this is The Almost Forgotten. With the death of the great general and unifying leader, Jan Zizka, in late 1424, everything changed. But not right away. The Hussite army marching towards Hungary did not disintegrate. In fact, under the leadership of the regent, Prince Corybutus, and Borek, that Moravian Utraquist leader, they still marched into Moravia and pushed out Archduke Albert and the Austrians. But look, Cory Boot was here to get a crown, for his uncle and presumably himself eventually. Zizka would accept no compromise because the Taborites would accept none. Cory Boot was more flexible. With Zizka gone, as long as the Pope would accept something that would make moderate Utraquists happy, he'd be happy. The Taborites, though, weren't going to go along with this. But without Zizka to keep them together, some of the more moderate Taborites weren't interested in the radical Taborite religious reforms. They were, like the moderate Utraquists, beholden to the four articles of Prague, the communion of two kinds and all that. But other than that, they were pretty much okay with Catholicism. The radical Taborites were thinking more about a complete break with the church. So once Zizka was dead, these groups split. This isn't 100% for every person, as nothing is, but essentially, the moderate Taborites gave up the Taborite name in the divorce and started calling themselves the Orphans. This name was a nod to the death of Zizka, although they were also, in general, okay with the concept of Koriboot as their regent, as long as he didn't give in to too many concessions. And so, the civil war that had begun a few years before flared up again, and 1425 saw battles between the factions, with the Taborites and orphans, those people in cities who were essentially once under Zizka's command, fighting together against the Praguers and Utraquist nobility. In the latter half of the year, again seeing that the only way to avoid prolonged civil war was to find someone else to fight, Koriboot and the other Hussite leaders came to an agreement to again invade Moravia, where Albert of Austria had again made some advances. It seems that Sigismund was there with Albert, besieging the city of Trebich. With the oncoming Hussites, Sigismund and Albert slowly backed away, making sure to burn some villages on their way, before making their way back to Hungary. The Hussites relieved the city before marching beyond Moravia, this time south into Austria, and attacking the fortified town of Retz. 
They took it in November, but the Taborite military commander there was wounded and soon died. So the Hussites returned home for the winter, content with the damage they had dealt out, while the Taborite faction had to decide on a new leader. For this, they didn't choose a true general. Instead, they picked a priest, known as Prokop the Bald, or Prokop the Shaven, because he was tonsured. Prokop was born in Prague, probably a bit before 1380, and after the death of his father, may have been adopted by his uncle on his mother's side, a relatively rich patrician merchant. Prokop was well-heeled, well-educated, and well-traveled. He became a priest, and he was something of a moderate utraquist at first. But he became part of the Taborite faction, and seemed to be a trusted leader under Zizka. Contemporary authors called the two men close friends. Prokop was also married, something not at all uncommon among Hussite priests. Upon the army's return to Bohemia and the death of their commander, they elected Prokop as probably the third leader of the Taborites after Zizka. It wasn't that unusual for priests to accompany the armies, and some of these priests were given military commands. Prokop was one of these guys, although he never seemed to be in the thick of battle, instead directing action from a safe, let's call it holier distance. He styled himself as the spiritual leader of the Taborite army. He was eventually known as Prokop the Great, which is good because later depictions of him show him with a full head of hair, so it would just be confusing if he was still called Prokop the Bald. As 1424 closed out and 1425 appeared, once again Chenik of Wartenburg joined with the Hussites. The great vacillator died later that year, finishing his life on the side of the Utraquists. He and others were given cover to rejoin both by the great Hussite victories and by Cory Boot's non-radical path. He wanted reconciliation with Rome, and the moderate Hussites would seek that from now on. Just a little room in the papal tent for some Utraquist practices, that's all. Prokop and the Taborites were suspicious of all of this, so don't you know an increase in the civil warring was bound to happen unless... Yep, that's right, it's time for a fourth Hussite crusade. The Pope, for the fourth time in about six years, gave most holy orders to go kill everyone in Bohemia, who was just barely not Catholic. If you missed the third Hussite crusade, that's the one where the Poles gathered their troops but couldn't actually get them to, you know, invade, and the German forces broke apart due to princes squabbling with each other before actually doing any damage. Okay, but this one, this crusade, is going to make it into Bohemia. The site of the first battle was at the town of Usti, or Ossig in Germany, on the Elbe River. It was in the borderland with Germany and, at least according to Sigismund, under the direct control of Duke Frederick of Saxony. He had a Saxon garrison there, and the Bohemians decided to come take the town for themselves. At the time, Duke Frederick was in Nuremberg discussing the details of the crusade, so his wife, the Duchess Catherine, pulled together the army and marched them to the Bavarian border with Saxony before bidding them goodbye. The news of this army probably helped bring more Bohemians together, it may have been a small army ready to take the small garrison town at first, but now, two large forces were marching towards each other, ready to clash. The Bohemians got there first and tried to take Usti on June 6th, but were beaten back. 
With the failure of the initial attack and the crusaders approaching, Prokop did the Zhishka thing. He found a hill nearby, surmounted it, and built a wagon fort. Cory Boot was there too, but it seems that Prokop was the overall commander of the army, which is quite a thing when you think about it. Now, contemporary accounts say there were 25,000 Bohemians and 70,000 Crusaders. Modern estimates put the Bohemians at more like 10 or 12,000, the imperial forces higher, but maybe not even as high as 20,000. As usual, there were highly trained knights who were individually brave, but undisciplined as a singular army, versus lightly armored peasants who worked together like a well-oiled machine and also had guns. On June 15th, some light skirmishing started. Then, on the 16th, the Saxon and Bavarian troops began their attack. They had heavy axes and hammers, ready to break apart those chains that kept the wagon forts together, and they made their way up the hill. The Hussites began firing at them from behind the wagons. According to Lutzow, quote, The Germans bravely scaled the hill on which the Bohemians awaited their attack. Behind the guns, some of the soldiers were placed partly protected by large shields, whose pointed lower ends had been driven into the ground. In spite of the incessant fire of the guns and muskets of the Bohemians, the Germans continued to advance, and reached the Bohemian encampment, though the loss of life and the fatigue of the ascent had already weakened them, unquote. They broke through some of the wagon forts, but had not yet breached the wall of shields that the Hussites had built behind that, And that is when the Hussite cavalry came out. They smashed into the German flank and caused the attackers to flee. A few dozen German noblemen who stayed and fought were captured and then executed. Lutzow excuses this away because supposedly the Germans had, before the battle, said they would spare no heretic because this was a crusade. But who knows? Many other Saxon and Bavarian soldiers were killed or captured as they fled on the road back to the border. Although the Germans had succeeded in destroying more than half of the 500 Bohemian wagons, the Hussite forces saw little loss of actual life. They were immediately able to sack Usti and destroyed it. Coriboot fought in the thick of the battle, while Prokop probably didn't, but he was clearly instrumental in the victory, as all the Hussites began to extol his brilliance and give him credit for it. All of this didn't exactly dampen enthusiasm for the crusade, though. In fact, the defeat was so resounding for the Germans, they began to fear an invasion. So, they were able to gather more forces in preparation for another invasion. But before they could invade, Prince Coriboot, the regent of Bohemia, was imprisoned at the castle in Prague. The details are pretty lacking. It's not clear exactly what happened but at some point, a radical element launched a coup of sorts. It was the usual claims that Cory Boot was going to sell them out to Rome, but come on, this guy had just fought in the thick of it all at Usti. Several moderate Utraquist priests were also imprisoned. While this happened, Prokop and the Hussite forces made some more incursions into both Austria to the south and Silesia to the north. But the Germans were more ready and more inclined to attack, and the Fourth Hussite Crusade was continued. Another large army was assembled, with Frederick of Brandenburg at their head. He tried to negotiate a peace at first, 
in part because he could care less about whether or not his rival Sigismund ever got to wear the Bohemian crown, unlike Frederick of Saxony, who was probably fully on board helping Siggy out at this point. Now, maybe Frederick of Brandenburg thought if he did everything perfectly, he could get offered the Bohemian crown, what with Boot in prison for some reason. But negotiations got nowhere, so he and his forces set out in early July. This was to be a coordinated attack, with his northern army joining a Saxon army, while another force from Bavaria would come up from the southwest to meet them near Prague. Albert and the Austrians were going to come into Moravia to cause more problems, but, whoops, Prokop had already beaten them away earlier that year. Frederick met up with the Saxon forces, who, by the way, made him come to them in a small town on the border because they were afraid to march through Bohemia by themselves, before they headed together to Zlutliche, which offered no resistance to the massive army. The army, still somewhat piecemeal, marched further into Czech lands. They began to besiege the city of Strybro, not far from Pilsen, in western Bohemia. A united Bohemian force, including Prokop, the Taborites, and the Utraquist nobles arrived outside of Pilsen in early August and began to march to Strybro, because nothing unites a divided country like a foreign invasion. The Germans considered forming up war wagons and waiting on the defensive, Zizka style, but instead decided to advance towards the Bohemians. And to motivate their army, the German commanders made them burn their ships. But, since they were on land and actually didn't have any ships, they were ordered to burn their tents because, yeah, they weren't going to need tents after winning or something? This did not work out so well. It seems this caused a panic in the Imperial Army, and the Germans ran back to Tatchov, which was a few hours' march west. The commanders followed all super embarrassed, and the Hussites were just kind of tired after marching many days to relieve the city, so they didn't chase after them immediately. There, more Allied troops were waiting, including the Bishop of Winchester, Henry Beaufort, with a thousand English archers. This is only a decade after Agincourt, by the way. Henry led a council of war, and it was decided that they would indeed make a stand. They found many of the men who were supposed to be making said stand fleeing west to Bavaria. But the Hussites were still attacking, so the German princes had to make the decision to fight or run again. There wasn't much of a decision. Most of the troops had already fled. A rear guard kept the Hussites out of that city for a few more days, but nothing else. In the end, it was another major victory for the Bohemians and the end of another failed crusade by the Holy Roman Empire. A thousand Germans were probably killed in the whole mess, mostly those who had stayed in the city trying to defend it. Soon after the end of this crusade, the Hussites again experienced internal strife, this time when some moderate forces tried to create a conspiracy to overthrow those Prague council members who had imprisoned Boot. A small force entered Prague, but soon fled when they saw the city was waiting for them. But, Realizing that holding Boot was just tempting people to try and come and break him out, the Proggers freed him and escorted him back to Poland in September. It was never really clear why he was jailed. He still had many allies in Bohemia, and he would return, but not just yet. The end of 1427 saw yet another attempt at internal reconciliation, 
And there was enough agreement that Prokop felt secure in taking a force again to raid enemy territory. This was, as usual, not a war of conquest, except in Moravia where it was reconquest. But rather it was one of punishment, hoping to make Sigismund back off, or at the very least, accept the four articles of Prague, or something. A united Hussite force marched through southern Moravia before entering Hungary and turning south to reach Pressburg, today's Bratislava in Slovakia. They could not take the heavily fortified city, but they raised the lands and the villages surrounding it before turning back and marching home. But it seems they didn't stop at home. They just kept marching north into Silesia, a region to the northeast of Bohemia that was technically part of the Bohemian crown, although it was closely associated with the German contingent of the empire. Prokop led the Hussite forces into Silesian territory in early 1428, and he received some assistance from Polish nobles in his invasion. Some of the Silesian nobles paid the Hussites off, but others resisted. They bypassed the fortified city of Trapau and marched through the territory, pillaging smaller towns and cities. One Silesian baron appears to have been a Hussite and allowed them entry into his city, but for the most part, they encountered either armed resistance or were just paid to keep on going. They entered the bishopric of Breslau, which had been the source of many German incursions over the previous few years. Breslau was the capital of Silesia. Today it's called Wrocław, although to English speakers it appears to be spelled more like Rocklau. They won a battle outside the important town of Nysa, but weren't able to take the main city. They took Brieg, a strong fortress town, without a fight when the defenders fled, before heading towards Breslau. They never reached all the way to the capital, though. They didn't really want to make long sieges or try to hold important cities that would be difficult to defend. They had marched through Silesia and laid waste to it, and then they garrisoned a few important fortresses they had captured before Prokop and the army returned to Bohemia. As their successes seemed to run unabated, more and more allies joined the cause. These weren't political allies, which is what they really needed. So it wasn't entire kingdoms or states or whatever you wanted to call it at the time. Rather, it was Poles, Lithuanians, Ruthenians, that is, Eastern Slavs like Russians and Ukrainians, who individually came to join their armies. It was probably in the spirit of Slavic solidarity and anti-Germanism rather than Hussite solidarity. It helped that, without a firm belief in aristocratic superiority by the Taborite army, loot was shared more with the common soldiers. On the other hand, the other Hussite factions were pretty darn aristocratic, and without Coryboot, they didn't have an obvious champion. Well, other than Sigismund, if maybe he would just accept the articles. One of the moderates was Meinhard of Newhouse, who actually worked to arrange a meeting between Prokop and Sigismund. Prokop, after his successes in Silesia, decided to go after Austria next, and Meinhard joined him. He convinced Prokop, or maybe Prokop didn't need a ton of convincing, after all, what was his goal in all these raids, to pressure the king into a favorable negotiation. Their safety guaranteed, they journeyed to Pressburg in the spring of 1429. Sigismund, Albert of Austria, the Duke of Bavaria, and Ulrich of Rosenberg were among the participants. 
The church, though, and Siggy, still didn't get it. They basically said to the Hussites that, hey, it's okay that you sinned and strayed from the church's teachings since you've been beating our butts for 10 years. As long as you admit that you were wrong, all will be forgiven. The Hussites, of course, were like, uh, do you think we're fighting this war because we want to be forgiven? No, we want the bread and wine thingy, among other important obscure doctrinal things. There was again an impasse. Sigismund again was like, okay, I'll stamp out heresy by killing everyone. But for now, let's just call an end to hostilities. An end to hostilities would have been a really good thing for the Holy Roman Empire. It would essentially break up the unity of the Hussites, stop their very annoying excursions into the bordering parts of the empire, and allow Sigismund to not really give any ground. Prokop and the Hussites, though, saw through this and wouldn't agree to any armistice. They did, however, tell the king of Germany and Hungary slash wannabe king of Bohemia that if he was truly willing to accept the Articles of Prague, they'd favor him over anyone else for the crown. Then they left and were back in Prague by May of 1429. Prokop became involved in the theological debates in the city, which I won't get into, only to say that it meant he was talking about the finer points of Utraquism in its broadest context rather than going on more of what the Czechs called beautiful rides, that is, the raiding of nearby territories. At the end of the year, it was again decided, though, that an army should be assembled and a new ride should commence. In December of 1429, a large army gathered near the border and marched down the Elbe River, which flows from its tributary, the Voltava in Prague, northwest into Saxony. The army reached Dresden, but, as usual, didn't try to take any of the more fortified cities. Instead, they went after the easy pickings. The Saxons mostly hid in their castles, but eventually gathered a large force to combat the invasion. A small German contingent of less than a thousand attacked a part of the Bohemian army and was driven back. But outnumbered again, Prokop expected the attack to come the next day. But it never did. Not sure why, but the German army broke up. Could have been fear of the Bohemians in an open battle. Could have been imperial politics. We just don't know. But it allowed the Hussites to march freely through Germany, and they marched into Franconia, a region due west of Bohemia, although it barely shared any border. They took the town of Hof, but could not take the castle. The elector of Saxony, Frederick, then decided to negotiate with the Czechs. He was not on great terms with Sigismund at the time, so he promised to help with the religious concessions, paid the Bohemians some ransom, and they marched back home, entering Prague on February 21st. They were received as heroes, having defiled enemy land, been victorious in battle, obtained a large ransom, and been given promises of further negotiations and concessions. There was a genuine fear of continued Bohemian raids in the empire, but it isn't easy to keep an army in the field so long. Prokop, for his part, stayed in Prague for the rest of the winter, but at some point in the spring of 1430, he made his way to the city of Domagelica, southwest of Pilsen on the borderlands near Bavaria. In Domagelica, he worked to help manage the collection of the ransoms that the Bohemians were owed by the Germanic states of the empire. That may have been where he wrote what Lutzow calls a manifesto addressed to the whole Christian world, 
He goes on, quote, Prokop began by stating that there had for a long time been discord between the Bohemians and the Church of Rome, and that the Bohemians had been frequently attacked by the Roman Catholics. Yet, he continued, the partisans of Rome had never granted them a hearing, nor heard from the mouths of the Bohemians what their doctrine was. This Prokop attributed to the influence of the clergy, who, by granting indulgences, excited the people to exterminate the Hussites. The letter then formulates in 16 articles the grievances of the Utraquists against the Church of Rome. Great stress is laid on the poverty of the clergy, a point on which even moderate Utraquists agreed with the Taborites, unquote. There's more, of course, and Prokop said the four articles must be recognized for any of the fighting to stop. But what he was doing was giving his enemies an opportunity to start somewhat fresh a new ecumenical council to try to come to some sort of peace agreement. German nobles, too, demanded of the Pope that there be a new council to try to resolve all these disagreements. Finally, the Pope agreed that they'd have a new council the following March in 1431. But while all that was going on, another Hussite army was on the march, this one including a large contingent of the orphans, as well as their commander, another Prokop, And it's confusing, but it's definitely a different Prokop, so I'll try not to mention him anymore. Anyway, this army marched into Hungary to try to mess with old Sigi. The king was staying in Trnava, a Slavic city not far from Austria, and the Hussites went to greet him. Sigismund didn't command the forces, which seems to be pretty common for him. While the first group of Hungarian soldiers had some successes, other parts of the army hung back. Meanwhile, Hussite reinforcements arrived, and the Hungarians had to retreat. The day ended as a Hussite victory, but a costly one, and they soon returned to Moravia. Sources claim they may have lost five or 6,000 men, but the Hungarians lost more. This battle, though, as well as the promise of an ecumenical council, didn't stop the Pope from calling a new crusade. No need to negotiate if he can just wipe out the Hussites, right? So a fifth, that's right, a fifth crusade to wipe out the Christians who were trying to get the church to recognize their branch of Christianity was called. Meanwhile, with no sign of any acceptable king showing up at the moment, the Bohemians elevated 20 men to a sort of regency council. They were nobility, but not only nobility. They were also representatives of major factions, including the orphans and the Taborites. Prokop the Great was first among equals, though, as he was acknowledged the leader of the military. Although at this time, the army was probably off without him, raiding in Silesia, while he was dealing with the politics. Prokop and a few others made their way to Poland, and had an audience with old King Yogaila. His regent in Lithuania, Vytautis, had died the year before, and Yogaila had at times sympathized with the Hussites, but never as much as Vytautis. They tried to get his support, but didn't get much. On their way back home through Krakow, the bishop there decided no one should worship at all while the heretics were in town, which gives you some idea of how the Hussites were received outside of Bohemia. Corybute, who was again trying to help the Bohemians out, laid into the bishop. He probably wasn't actually present, and was off in Silesia at the time, helping with the latest raids. So he laid into the bishops via a sternly worded letter, but it was something. 
After that, King Sigismund had made his way into Bavaria in an attempt to further the negotiations. The Pope had died in February, and Sigismund was less interested in the crusade than the Pope had been. He was eyeing an opportunity to finally be crowned Holy Roman Emperor. And it wasn't necessarily going to be a peaceful march through northern Italy, so he was happy to play Cape Bohemia, at least for a time. There was an ecumenical council, but the same old arguments pushed the sides apart. The Hussites wanted Eastern Orthodox representatives there because they believed in communion of two kinds. The Catholics wanted the Hussites to agree to whatever the council decided, which basically would have been a surrender, so no thanks. No agreement was reached, and the Czech representatives returned to Prague to prepare Bohemia for another crusade that everyone had kept mentioning. In June of 1431, Sigismund named Frederick of Brandenburg as leader of the military forces, and the new pope, Eugene IV, told everyone to get moving. It took a while, but they probably assembled by the end of July 1431. The Hussites, aware of the danger, withdrew from their pillaging in Silesia and got all the different factions together to defend themselves. Coryboot also joined them, and they first marched to Pilsen before going further west towards the border. On August 1st, the German forces entered Bohemia, to the north of the Hussite army. This army was estimated to be 100,000 men. But the Bohemians were estimated to be at something like 50,000, which was probably their largest ever assembled. Either way, it was going to be a big one. The Imperial Army marched south on the road to Pilsen, in the direction of the town of Domaslice. The Hussites made their way there as well, but the Crusaders got there first on August 8th and started the siege. Prokop and his army arrived on August 14th. Frederick imitated the Hussites and started to form up in a defensive position and even, uh uh-oh, started to make a fort out of war wagons. Well, the problem with this is that wagon forts are what the weak Bohemian peasants do, not what strong Teutonic warriors make. When the strong Teutonic warriors saw their leader making a wagon fort, they became very scared, and some of them began to run away. As the Hussites came closer, their war song was heard, and a full-blown panic ensued among the Germans. The Hussites never had time to actually attack before the Crusaders were running for the border again. A thousand or so of them were killed in the pursuit, but more importantly to Prokop and the Hussite army, They left behind most of their cannons and baggage train. Domaglice was another incredible victory for the Bohemians, for Prokop and the Taborites in particular, who played a bigger role in this battle than some of the other factions. But still, there were opportunities to negotiate, and though Prokop and the Taborites probably wanted little to do with the church at this point, and even less to do with Sigismund, Utraquist representatives desperately wanted to go to a new church council, that began by meeting in Basel, late 1431 to early 1432. The Taborites agreed with negotiating at this point, which, if they hadn't, might have caused the Utraquists to back off. According to Lutzow, quote, The practical dictatorship of Prokop the Great, which had been confirmed by his brilliant victory at Zomaslice, rendered it impossible to enter into negotiations, except in agreement with the Taborites, unquote. So Prokop and the other Hussite leaders, their safe conduct guaranteed, made their way to Basel. 
Prokop wrote to Sigismund, hoping he would join the negotiations. The king, though, was preoccupied with other matters. He had received the Iron Crown of Lombardy in 1431, a formality that gave him the title King of Italy, and he was prepping for a trip to Rome to finally add Holy Roman Emperor to his list of titles. While he had acted in this role for a generation, he had not yet been formally crowned. The council first met at Basel in December of 1431. The Bohemians showed up late in 1432. They weren't being fashionably late. This is just how things worked. More formally, it was the 17th Ecumenical Council of the Roman Catholic Church. It lasted from 1431 to 1449 and is usually called the Council of Florence because that's where it ended up. For our purposes, what's important here is that there was a decree to forbid all prostitutes from being out in the streets when the Hussites showed up, which is interesting because some previous councils had actually brought additional prostitutes into whatever city was... Wait a minute, that's not the important part. Sorry. What's important is that Prokop and other Hussite leaders showed up right around New Year's 1433 to a city free of outdoor ladies of ill repute. There were many discussions about what would be accepted, many speeches by leading figures, Apparently, Prokop gave a speech where he, quote, begged his hearers to accept God's truth while it was yet time, unquote, and verbally attacked the Catholic priests, which certainly conjures an image of a less-than-moderate church leader at this point in his life. In the end, the Hussites stayed for a few months, but again weren't able to get any concessions they wanted, and while the council was trying to get them to bend on some of the contents of the Articles of Prague, Many of the more radical people had already bent to agree on the article, so they weren't about to do any additional bending. But a new dialogue was open, both with the Taborites and other factions. And it's said that the cardinal leading the council had personal conversations with Prokop, and they got along quite well. So, progress. All the while, the actual war had never come to a complete stop. The city of Pilsen had been in Catholic hands for years, and it was one or two of the three biggest Bohemian cities outside of Prague. The Hussites wanted it. They began to besiege the city in June of 1433, but there was other action as well. In order to protect the besieging army at Pilsen, near the western border, a Hussite army was sent in to raid Bavaria and keep them occupied. But in September... The 2,000-man army was surprised and attacked before having time to form up their traditional wagon forts. Less than 200 made it out. Most were killed. A few hundred were taken prisoners. Those who made it out retreated to Pilsen. When the commander showed up at the city, he was imprisoned by soldiers who suspected he was a traitor. When Prokop defended him, he was thrown in prison as well. That only lasted a couple of days before everyone realized they were being silly and let him go. Around that same time, a more successful army had returned to Bohemia from fighting near the Baltic, helping King Yogaila fight Teutonic Knights. The number of people besieging Pilsen was growing, but thanks to decades of war and an influx of mercenaries in the forces, discipline was waning and there just wasn't enough food in the now-wasted territories around Pilsen to sustain all these men. Civil war had flared up again, and the countryside was being devastated. 
it was decided to hold yet another one of those diets that seemed to be a constant, if usually pointless, exercise throughout the Hussite War. There was even a break in the siege of Pilsen while negotiations of the diet took place, and there were further attempts to come to an accord with the Council of Basel. Utraquist nobles, orphans, Taborites, and Prokop, even Catholic Bohemian nobles met, as Lutzow writes, quote, to reestablish order in the land. As a first step to further this purpose, it was decided to elect a regent, who was to be the head of government up to the moment when it would be possible to elect a king, according to the ancient constitution of the land, unquote. A leader of the orphans, a nobleman named Alice of Riesenberg, was given the role, and he had significant legal powers. Prokop was in favor of this because he saw how badly the country was being devastated, but the Taborites as a whole were not. There was a brief break between Prokop the Great, the real leader of the Hussites, and the group that he commanded. But while negotiations were winding down, a joint Hussite army again went after Pilsen, including Taborites, orphans, Proggers, and the rest. And the Taborites again asked Prokop to lead them, which he agreed to do. He was back at the walls of Pilsen by the end of 1433. Because the siege had let up for a few months, starving the city out wasn't going to happen. They were going to have to take it, or negotiate for some sort of accord. Most of the Hussites were willing to do this, and Pilsen was too, but there was a sticking point. See, everyone wasn't willing to accept that the Catholics in Pilsen, or anywhere else in Bohemia for that matter, could, well, continue being Catholic. The Taborites insisted that in order for Bohemia to have peace, that old saw, the communion of two kinds, must be a requirement for everyone who lived there. Prokop delivered this news to Prague and apparently stayed away from Pilsen, the mercenary soldiers that now filled the ranks of Taborite and orphan armies were undisciplined and unruly. Prokop stayed in Prague rather than returning to the siege. Seemingly close to getting Pilsen to surrender, this demand of not being Catholic, basically, broke apart whatever fragile accord the Hussites had come to. Utraquist nobles abandoned the siege, while the more radical Hussites stayed on and continued to pillage their own country for supplies. The Utraquist nobles, including the new regent, decided they had a better chance at getting what they wanted without the radicals in the way. They turned to those Catholic Bohemian nobles as potential allies. The League of Bohemian Nobles, as Lutzow calls it, felt they were going nowhere. Quote, the siege of Pilsen had proved a complete failure. Treason and anarchy were rife in the Taborite camp. Moderate Utraquists, particularly the nobles, desired to come to an agreement with the Council of Basel as representing the Universal Church, unquote. The League asked the Taborites to lay down their weapons, receive a pardon, and join their army if they so desired. But they also threatened that if the Taborites didn't, they'd be considered enemies of the state. The moderates didn't expect the Taborites to acquiesce. And so, they gathered everyone they could, Alice of Riesenberg, Boric, Chenik of Wartenberg's son Henry, and a bunch of other guys I mentioned like once or twice each in this podcast, but trust me, they were well-respected Bohemian or Moravian nobles. The old town of Prague, the one that was always more moderate, also joined in, and those Praggers helped the nobles take the new town. 
The new town fought back, taking a fortress and a few towers and firing on the old town. The League of Extraordinary Moderates came in with their army on May 5th and retook the new town. It wasn't much more than a skirmish, maybe 20 died, but it was the beginning of the end for the radicals. Prokop, still in Prague, fled to Tabor, that original fortress town built just as Jan Zizka was beginning to establish himself as a leader of the Hussites. Prokop did his best to rally forces for the impending battle. But it was hard going. The war had been going on for 15 years, and the moderates were negotiating a peace that would allow people to be Utraquist if they wanted. The Taborite cause was not as appealing anymore. As he brought whatever forces he could together in Tabor, the siege of Pilsen petered out. Prokop and his Taborites, as well as the remaining orphans, although some of their noblemen leaders had flipped over to the moderate side, decided to go after Prague. Take the city, I guess? Then go take Pilsen? Then, well, I don't know what, because Rome was never going to let them force Catholics to be Utraquist, but whatever. By May, the army of radical Hussites was outside of Prague. The moderates in Prague did not go out to meet them immediately. They waited for Ulrich of Rosenberg, one of the most powerful Bohemian lords who had fought on Sigismund's side of the conflict since the beginning. He arrived soon with an army, and together with his new Utraquist allies, there was something like 10,000 soldiers. The Taborites decided not to try to take Prague, and instead marched east to take the towns closer to the orphans' biggest stronghold of Kralov Hradek. More soldiers were joining each army by the day, but as the moderates and their allies outnumbered the radicals, Prokop decided it was time to fight. He set his troops up on a hill near the town of Lipany and set up the typical Hussite wagon fort. The two armies began a negotiation. Peace was still favorable to the moderates, who saw a real solution to the decades of war on the horizon. But the Taborites would not submit to their demands. On May 30th, 1434, the army of nobles arrived, commanded by Borek of Militenic, that Moravian nobleman who helped Zizka clear Catholic forces out of that region so many times. They outnumbered the Taborites, but maybe by something like 30%, which was like nothing to the Taborites. They attacked the hill and took heavy fire initially and began to retreat. Sensing their superior cannon fire had broken the enemy once again, the Taborites did their typical next move, finishing them off with an infantry charge. Remember the flails and all that? Yeah, except it was a trap. The Taborites had done very little damage to the moderates, and probably should have known this from the, you know, lack of dead moderates on the hillside. When the radicals charged out, most of Lord Ulrich's men were waiting, perhaps on the other side of the hill from the retreating men, and they quickly outflanked the Taborites and orphans, and easily took the now lightly defended wagon forts. Meanwhile, the fleeing moderates turned around and, surprise, began attacking the pursuing radicals. Capac of San, the commander of the orphan cavalry force, fled with his men, preventing any sort of organized retreat for the rest. The battle became a rout, and Prokop the Great was killed. Legends say he was in the thick of the battle, which he had never really been before, so take the legends with a grain of salt. The Taborite priests may have been rounded up and killed, or just killed in the chaos of the battle. With the death of Prokop and so many prominent Taborites and orphans, so died the civil war and the radical movement. There was some more fighting, 
But the Battle of Lipany in 1434 ended the Hussite Wars. Sigismund, as Lutzow writes, was victorious. But so were the Hussites, perhaps more so. Prokop was killed. The Taborites that Zizka and he commanded were greatly weakened. In June, the new commander of the Taborites and the leader of the remaining orphans met with the rest of the Hussite leaders in Prague to try to end the civil war. They agreed to accept Sigismund as their king and fall in line with the rest of the Utraquist nobility. Alice of Riesenberg was re-elected regent until the coronation. But the moderate Utraquists who joined with the Catholics were still Utraquists. They were still Hussites. They were willing to join with Siggy's allies because they believed they were finally in a position to get what they wanted. And they were right. In August, Bohemian envoys and Sigismund met in Regensburg. Negotiations continued, both with the Holy Roman Emperor, the Church, and within Bohemia. They still had to figure out exactly what rules they wanted him to accept if he were to be crowned. The Church Council did agree to the communion of the two kinds, and the Bohemians met in March of 1425 and came up with their united list of demands. In July, Sigismund went to Brno in Moravia, and Jan of Rokikan, a Hussite religious leader who, quote, opened the proceedings, stated that the Utraquists made three demands, namely, that the four articles of Prague should be recognized in the whole kingdom of Bohemia and the Margraviate of Moravia, that Bohemia and Moravia should be freed from the accusation of heresy which had been brought against those countries because of the articles, and that the general reform of the church should be carried out, unquote. They were again received coolly, but while the church thought the Hussites were somewhat cowed after the Battle of Lepani, this just wasn't the case. The moderate Utraquists had never really wavered from their demands of the Articles of Prague, and the more radical groups were again gaining followers. Sigismund, though, was finally ready. While he wasn't trusted by the Bohemians, he promised that if he got the crown, he'd defend their beliefs. They made him put it down on paper, so he couldn't easily pretend he never said it. Made public a year or so later, he promised the Bohemians would be given important secular and church positions, including the crucial Archbishop of Prague, instead of Germans. And the communion of two kinds would be allowed, but not required. The alliance between Bohemian nobles was probably predicated on that. Sigismund would be king, but the Articles of Prague would be honored, although not forced upon anyone. It was an actual compromise. If both Sigismund and the moderates won, well, then in addition to the Taborites losing, so did the Pope. Finally, after several years of negotiations, Sigismund agreed to leave the Hussites the heck alone when it came to religion and asked the Pope to allow them their concessions. He agreed to it, which finally cleared the path for peaceful reunification, not just of the empire, but possibly even of the church itself. According to Lutzow, quote, the emperor on July 20 granted the estates of Bohemia a so-called letter of majesty. In this document, he conferred on his Bohemian subjects considerable rights and privileges, besides those already promised. He undertook to maintain all the privileges granted to the Bohemians by the compacts, to have only chaplains belonging to the Utraquist church, the king further declared that he had forgotten all that had been done against him during the recent troubles, promised to maintain all the ancient rights and privileges of Bohemia, 
and, according to ancient custom, employ no foreign officials in the lands of the Bohemian crown, unquote. By August, he had entered Prague to great enthusiasm. He didn't hold much power in Bohemia, though, but he did have the title. So, big win for him. He died a little more than a year later, at the end of 1437. His son-in-law, and Hussite pain in the side, Archduke Albert, became king of Hungary, Bohemia, emperor, etc. But the Bohemians didn't really want him there, this Albert of Habsburg, and fought against him. But Albert had died by 1439, and his unborn son Ladislaus was crowned king of Hungary the next year, but wasn't recognized as king of Bohemia until 1453, although a strong regent, George Podebrady, kept his power in check and became the new king after the death of Ladislaus. Podebrady, the son of one of those moderate Hussite noblemen, was an interesting guy himself, but we're past the Hussite Wars now, so maybe another time. Prince Coryboot, by the way, died in 1435 from wounds received in a decisive battle during a Lithuanian civil war. The Utraquist church lasted about two centuries, and in that time, most Bohemians were Hussites. But it started shifting greatly after the first century. Two opposing forces acted upon the Utraquist Hussites. One was the growing Reformation, which started to take shape in the rest of the Holy Roman Empire. Hussites became more and more critical of the church again, once they saw others getting away with it. The other force was the reintroduction of the very Catholic Habsburgs as kings of Bohemia in 1526. The Holy Roman Emperor Matthias died in 1617. By the way, this was the same Matthias from the Dutch Republic series who snuck out of the palace in his pajamas to try to become regent of the Netherlands. His successor was a fervent anti-Protestant and also wanted to end any autonomy Bohemia had. This culminated in the second defenestration of Prague in 1680. And remember the first defenestration was one of those things that kicked this whole conflict off. This time... It was the Thirty Years' War that was starting, but the Battle of White Mountain, only two years later, right outside of Prague, was a devastating loss for the Hussites. Bohemian nobles were soon limited in their power, and Catholicism was forced upon the land. Or maybe we should just say it was forcefully reintroduced. Bohemia stopped functioning as pretty much anything more than a directly ruled Habsburg land. And while this ended two centuries of Hussite Bohemia, it was still a remarkable thing that the Bohemians managed to hold off the might of the Church and the Holy Roman Empire enough to establish their own version of the religion for about two centuries. Next time, we'll move east to Southeast Asia and look at a king who reunited a land that had once been a mighty empire and created a mighty empire himself. Thanks for listening. <laughs>